And we'll finish out chapter one this evening. Our text will be verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I plied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That is the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless it to us now. Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, and we pray that you will uh, use them to make us wise unto salvation. Uh, bless our consideration of your word. Speak to us through your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lately, you see on the news uh, lots of um, just the brazen and rampant uh, plundering of, of stores around the country, people just going in and, and without shame, it seems, just taking merchandise and, and daring anyone to stop them, daring the police to, uh, to prosecute or to arrest. Um, high value items just being taken off the shelves in lots of major cities in, in this land. I think though, that when anybody, whether it's one of these high-profile brazen scenarios or just a you know, run-of-the-mill thief who steals from a store, I doubt that many or any of them steal gift cards. Have you ever known anybody just to grab a hunk of gift cards off the rack and take them out of the store? I don't even know if anybody would stop them. You know Why? Because unless you take those gift cards to the register and pay for them, they don't get activated and you walk out the store and they are absolutely worthless. They're just plastic. If you want value on the gift card, you have to acquire it the right way. And I think that's maybe something of an illustration of what this text is all about. It's really about wisdom. But if we seek to acquire wisdom in the wrong way, it's not going to do us a whole lot of good. The pursuit of wisdom is only beneficial if we pursue it the right way. Uh, the author of Ecclesiastes introduced us, introduced, uh, us 
to himself uh, in the very beginning of the, of the book. We saw that, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. But we're introduced to the author there in the third person, as if uh, the writer's talking about someone else almost. But here in verse 12, the preacher speaks directly to us. He speaks directly to you, speaks directly to me. I, the preacher, he says. And again, the name Solomon doesn't appear anywhere in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, but uh, all the personally identifiable information that we find in Ecclesiastes points directly to him. He was king in Jerusalem, king over Israel in Jerusalem. And other than David, there wasn't any other Israelite king who reigned over Israel in Jerusalem. So we have Solomon here. And when you think about Solomon, think about his, his wisdom, think about his wealth, think about his power, you think about the peace and the prosperity that Israel enjoyed under his reign. And I think it'd be fair to say that if ever a man lived who had the resources to carry out a comprehensive survey of human endeavor, it was Solomon. We could read all about his attainments. Uh, I've been reading through the first book of Kings in my own devotions lately, and so I not too long ago read through the account of the reign of Solomon and all of his learning and his wisdom and how people came from far and near to hear the wisdom of Solomon and the things that he studied. See, God gave wisdom to Solomon. He asked for a discerning mind, and God granted him that. And so there is a sense in which God gave him this profound and maybe even supernatural wisdom. But in, the other, in another sense, it's not as if God just sort of you know, opened up his skull and poured it in and then boom, Solomon had all this knowledge. Solomon studied. He pursued wisdom. He pursued knowledge. And that's what this text tells us too. He, he uh, sought diligently. He sought and he searched out wisdom. He applied his heart, it says, twice in this passage. And when we see that, uh, that phrase in verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Seek and search out kind of is this, this all-inclusive description of pursuit of knowledge. He's pursuing it in depth. In other words, he wasn't just looking for a surface sort of survey knowledge of things. He was drilling down, really trying to get to the root of things. But it was also a breadth. There was a breadth in his pursuit. He wasn't just limited to a few subject areas, the way maybe a, a college student would, would focus on a certain major. Solomon wanted to learn about it all, and he did. That was his endeavor. He applied his heart to it. And here are his findings. In fact, the next several chapters will describe what he discovered. And I think one way we could summarize his discovery is this. Wisdom, as an end in itself, is vanity. There's only gain in wisdom when it's attained through Christ. We don't see Solomon's name in Ecclesiastes, and we obviously don't see Christ's name in Ecclesiastes either, but he's there. We find him throughout Ecclesiastes. And so let's be looking for him. Wisdom as an end in itself is vanity. There's only gain in wisdom when it's attained through Christ. 
our three points this evening would be this unhappy business that he spoke of. And then we're going to consider the limitations of the search, the limitations of wisdom. And then finally, what I've decided to call wisdom's side effects. And you'll see what I mean shortly. But first of all, he speaks of an unhappy business. What was Solomon's field of observation? Uh, was there, were there parameters to it? Uh, well, his field of observation was, was all that is done under heaven. All that is done under the sun. And let's not uh, get too concerned with making a distinction between those two uh, phrases, under the sun or under heaven. They, they mean the same thing. Um, that, that I don't think there's an intention that they refer to uh, different aspects even of what we have here uh, on this planet, on this earth, under the sun, under heaven. There's no distinction intended, in other words. And so that, that was the scope of, Saul's, uh, of Solomon's um, study, his field of observation, everything. What does man do in this world? Solomon was interested in seeking it out, studying it. And he saw it all. He engaged in an exhaustive study of human activity. And what we have here is the report that he has to present after all this study. I couldn't help thinking of the, uh, of the 9-11 commission that they assembled after the terrorist attacks on our soil back in 2001. And... Um, and they formed this commission, and they studied evidence for a year and a half, and they brought forward this report, nearly 500 pages, or maybe it was a little over 500 pages, or, or even the, uh, maybe another example, the, the Ken Starr report. After four years of, of investigating wrongdoing on the part of the former president, then he brings this report, and there were 36 boxes of evidence and hundreds and hundreds of pages in his report. Well, here's Solomon's report after all his study. Here's what he has to show for all of his study. And what is his conclusion? Well, we find it at the end of verse 13. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What is an unhappy business? the business that God has given mankind to be busy with. In other words, everything that's done under the sun, he says. He's already described it in previous verses as vanity. And remember that word vanity that we find in our English Bible? It refers to uh, a breath or a vapor. Or I even described it as bubbles, you know, like bu blowing bubbles with a little wand and the soapy solution. They, they float around and then they, they're gone. They don't endure that's what vanity is kind of saying. And then he adds a phrase here in, in these verses. He speaks of vanity and he speaks of striving after wind. That phrase is used nine times in the book of Ecclesiastes and two of those are found right here in this uh, closing section of chapter one. Uh, another way of some sometimes uh, striving after wind is, is translated as, is shepherding the wind. You know what that means? If you don't, try it sometime. You'll find it out. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. He uses an expression very similar to this uh, just a few pages before where we are in our Bibles right now. If you turn back to Proverbs chapter 27. 
in a, in a much different context, uh, Solomon makes this statement beginning in verse 15. He says, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. In other words, to restrain her, uh, just, just go outside and try to keep the wind from blowing and you, you'll see how successful an endeavor that's going to be. Or, you know, get out the canola oil, put your hand like this, pour some oil in there and then just try to hold it. Grasp it, hold on tight. That's how um, effective your efforts will be. And so he says, all this, all man's business under the sun is like vanity and it's like striving after wind. It's, it shines a spotlight on the futility of human effort. And what is exactly the unhappiness of man's business? Well, it's, it's frustration. The difficulty and the toil of everything that we do on earth. And we might ask, well, is he saying that God is the author of that? Well, in a sense, yes. In a sense, he is. Because futility is built into the curse. We have that from the beginning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. God said, don't eat that fruit. They ate it. Against his command, they believed the serpent. They ate the forbidden fruit. And then God comes to speak to them. He speaks to the serpent. And then when he turns his attention to the man and his wife, Genesis 3, beginning in verse 16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Futility. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. I can't imagine what agriculture would have been like before the fall. But since the fall, maybe that's why it takes so long for plants to come up. And that's certainly why we have not just what we planted, but weeds, thorns, thistles. The ground doesn't yield its strength, and it's because of the fall. So that futility is built into the curse itself. It's vanity embodied. And Solomon reaches this conclusion that it's an unhappy business that God has given man to be busy with. He reaches that conclusion not only on his empirical observation, but even of his knowledge of Scripture. He knew the, the words of Moses, the books of Moses. He knew Genesis 3, even though it wouldn't have been called chapter 3 of Genesis. And in his day, he knew the first book of Moses. He knew the creation story. He knew the story of the fall. And this was in his conclusion. It's an unhappy business that God has given man to be busy with. He also speaks of limitations that we experience in this life. The limitations even of wisdom. 
Look with me again at, in our text in Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I decided to draw on some help from some commentaries to shed a little bit of light on this. And again, uh, taken from, uh, from my Hebrew professor, Dr. Benjamin Shaw, he said regarding this, this verse 15 and, and the, the limitations that, uh, that we're considering. What does it mean when it says what's crooked cannot be straight and so forth? Dr. Shaw wrote, in this life, some things cannot be fixed. Yet wisdom seeks to fix all things. So wisdom is frustrated in that it cannot achieve its goal. Wisdom does not make life happy and it does not solve all problems. And then a little bit more extended comment from Philip Ryken in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. If you wanna know what verse 15 means, think of this. There are many things in life that we wish we could fix, but we can't, any more than we can repair a crumpled fender using our bare hands. We suffer long-standing family conflicts, estrangement between former friends, wrongs done to us by someone in power, disease, disability, our own moral failings, the accidents we caused, the list goes on and on. There's always something in life we wish we could bend back into shape. And sometimes our efforts to do so actually end up making things worse. That's what verse 15 is kind of getting at. The resolutions, or excuse me, the, the solutions and the remedies for this world's problems are never fully satisfactory for us. Why? Because the problems of this world are so deep. They're so complex. They're woven into the fall. And not only are the problems too deep and too complex, but the resources that we have for trying to solve them are so limited and so deficient. And even, you know, thinking of some of those particular examples that, that Reikand mentioned, if someone is sort of in a position unilaterally to impose a solution on a problem, then man is too selfish and unappeasable for that solution to be fully satisfactory anyway. Solomon witnessed the crooked things. He perceived the lack, that there are insoluble problems in this life, things that can't be made right. And there are answers that we will never find, that we were never intended to find. We don't even know how many there are. You know, they say you can't prove a negative. You don't know what you don't know. I think that's part of what's behind what, what it says when it says what is lacking cannot be counted. How do you know what you lack? How can you possibly measure that? Solomon experienced the limitations of wisdom in his search. <clears throat> and so look in verse 13, that's where he says uh, that he's applied his heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. And then if you jump down to verse 17, at that point he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So he's expanded his search. 
He decided he's going to go deeper. He's going to go broader in his investigation. It's the nature of investigations, isn't it? That they tend to be expanded. How often do you hear that? Our investigation is being expanded. Solomon expanded his. But as he did, he discovered the limitations by which he was bound. He also discovered what I'm calling wisdom's side effects, which is our third point. We take medications of different kinds, over-the-counter medications, prescription medications. Medicine's supposed to help make us better. It's supposed to uh, heal and to alleviate symptoms and things like that. But medications often have side effects, don't they? In fact, any drug after testing, if it has any known side effects, the manufacturer, the producer is required to put those side effects on the packaging. You know, potential side effects include, and then you've got a list like that of what could happen if you take this drug. And uh, some possible side effects are such that you decide, you know, I'll just deal with the symptoms. I don't want to risk that side effect or the other. I'd, Maybe you've had that experience. I did. I prescribed something. I looked at the list of side effects and I said, you know, I think I can just, just grit it out. Wisdom itself is a good thing. It's desirable. It's beneficial. In fact, true wisdom is, is nothing less than godly. God himself is the author and the giver of wisdom and we are encouraged in the book of Proverbs, for example, to get wisdom. But after applying his heart to know wisdom and madness and folly, Solomon's discovery that was that even that, it was all striving after wind. Why did he conclude that? What, what happened? He discovered unexpected side effects of wisdom. We see that, I think, especially in verse 18. In much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. It's been said that knowledge is power. I tried to find the original uh, source of that quote, but I think it's uh, so much of a truism it would be difficult to figure out who first said it. Um, so yeah, knowledge is power. There are benefits to having knowledge and there are certainly liabilities to ignorance, but knowledge also brings sorrow. says in much wisdom there's much vexation why is that because the wise know a lot more about life's problems the wise understand a lot more about the pains of life and the emptiness Matthew Henry made the comment that in the pursuit of wisdom forever I'm paraphrasing here but he's basically said that for in the pursuit of wisdom, for every pleasing discovery that's made, there are 10 others that are displeasing, it seems. And the more knowledge you acquire, the more knowledge you have of things that go on in the world. And the more knowledge you have of things that go on in the world, the more you might be brought to tears or angered. So wisdom and knowledge are worthwhile pursuits, without a doubt, seek them. 
but understand that wisdom and knowledge will be accompanied by an increased consciousness of sin and corruption, of fallenness and the brokenness that's all around us. It's in that sense, especially, that much wisdom brings much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, if Ecclesiastes makes anything clear, it's that we are living in a fallen world. And I think it's worthwhile on a regular basis to give thanks to God that even in a fallen world, he not only allows us, but even blesses us with the ability to enjoy many good things. But don't expect to find a deep fulfillment or satisfaction in your toil because the curse is mingled and tempered with blessings, but our endeavors under the sun will always be mixed with sweat, toil, trouble. That's just a fact of life in a fallen world. But even the pursuit of wisdom itself is vanity if it's sought out under the sun. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you know it says there, and we'll see it in Ecclesiastes, we see in the Psalms too, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But man who's going to endeavor to seek wisdom apart from God, he's going to experience vanity. So the pursuit of wisdom under the sun is vanity. It's vanity to pursue wisdom unless we seek it in Christ. Our goal should be to become acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, God's word, which is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He went on to say, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, anyone who is inclined in this life to seek for answers, to search for peace, to search for meaning, to search for happiness, for satisfaction from the things of this present life, the things under the sun, they seek it apart from God, they really ought to heed the words of Solomon. Because Solomon's already done a full investigation. He's already done all the homework. And he's brought his report. These are his findings. Save yourself the trouble. Wisdom as an end in itself is vanity. There's only gain in wisdom when it's attained through Christ. And we who have found that found that wisdom in Christ and found in Christ righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By faith, we come to this table tonight. If we submit to Jesus and his wisdom, it will lead us, among other things, to this table, to the supper of the Lord. We can't count what is lacking in our own righteousness, but we can lay hold of the perfect righteousness of Christ. 
We can't make straight the crookedness of our sins. That fix is far beyond us. But Christ came to repair the ruin that we've made. He came to clean up our mess, to straighten what was crooked, to fix what was broken, and he did it by laying down his life for us. And that's what we remember in this meal. So as we get ready to come to the table, let's pray together. Father, forgive us for our endeavors to seek wisdom, to seek any gain, to seek satisfaction and fulfillment in things apart from you. Continue to teach and to persuade our hearts that all those things are vanity apart from Christ and that we only gain anything ultimately when we attain it through Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you that he is wisdom from you for us. And now we pray that you'll give us eyes of faith to behold him as we come to this sacrament that he taught us to observe in his remembrance. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.